Genesis 45, verses 1 to 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Thank you, Kathleen. Today we are in our third to last week uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, specifically in Joseph's story covering chapters 37 through 50. Uh, so uh, if you haven't been here with us, uh, your homework is to go home and uh, read 44 chapters, okay? You're, you're good with that to be ready for next week? So, uh, but today we're going to be talking about a reunion. And our big idea is this, that God turns reunion into restoration. Let me say that again. God turns reunion into restoration. So what we see this week is, is Joseph is finally reunited with his, his family. We're going to get to the fact to at the end of our message about how he's reunited with his dad and how his family comes to live with him in Egypt. We began our story with Joseph being the favored son of, of Jacob and Jacob giving his son a, a, a colorful coat, uh, a, a gift that really just signified uh, his loving affection for his son, his brothers being jealous of that coat and then 
not just throwing him into a pit uh, and, and, and really considering killing him, uh, selling him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt, lands in Potiphar's house. Uh, some things happen there. And then uh, he ends up in prison. And then in prison, he gets, uh, he interprets a couple of dreams. And then he's brought before Pharaoh, who he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And then we get to where we were last week, where uh, the, the Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt seeking out grain. Uh, all of this, you know, God took his slavery and turned it into, a, into an opportunity for, for power where Joseph was really second in command in the nation of Egypt. And, and his brothers come because there's famine in the promised land, uh, the famine that Joseph uh, saw in uh, Pharaoh's uh, dreams. And his brothers come and uh, he sends them back. He keeps Simeon behind and he sends them back to get uh, his younger brother, uh, Benjamin, his younger brother, Benjamin. And as young as his father, Jacob, doesn't want to let Benjamin go. But Judah, who was the brother that actually suggested selling Joseph into slavery, and Judah, the same one who uh, who sleeps with Tamar in chapter, uh, was that 38? No, 38, yeah. And so the same Judah is the one who now mediates and brings Benjamin back uh, to the promised land, promises his, his father, uh, Jacob, that, hey, no harm is going to come on this boy. I have personal responsibility for him. And now it's Judah who gives this impassioned plea at the end of where we were last week um, as as uh, as Jacob, uh, as a, uh, hold on, Joseph set up one more test uh, and by putting uh, that object, you remember, in the bag of grain. And, and, and so now uh, Judah steps in and says, don't harm the boy. Like, take, take me, like, do harm to me. And he, it, it really shows Joseph that reconciliation is authentic and reconciliation is happening. And so the unique thing we see here in this verse, these verses, is it's not Joseph who initiates the reconciliation, but Judah. This entire story is unexpected. The story arc is all about Joseph, but Joseph isn't the one who initiates the reconciliation here. It's his brother Judah, the one that sold him into slavery. What it really points to is that the story is ultimately not about Jacob, Judah, Joseph, any of the brothers, the story is about a gracious God who turns reunion into restoration. So what we see in the verses that Kathleen read was this, this reunion reveals purpose. We see three different things about this reunion, this reunion that turned into restoration. Here in these 15 verses of chapter 45, we see this reunion revealed purpose. I love what Kenneth Matthew says in the New American Commentary. He says, what the dreams, if you don't remember earlier, Joseph in chapter 37 had two different dreams uh, of his, of, y'all remember the corn stalks bowing down and then the sun, moon, and stars bowing down and, and these two different dreams that said his family would bow down to him and his family kind of got offended by all that except for his dad who, who did push back on it but did say that his dad kept the matter at heart. And what we see here is that what these dreams did not make known was that grace, love, and forgiveness, not submission, 
enforced by power achieve the benevolent income. Let me say that again. What we see here that these dreams did not reveal is that grace, love, and forgiveness, not submission enforced by power, achieved the benevolent outcome of these dreams. Joseph, immediately, when he reveals them, he can't hold it in anymore. Uh, when he reveals it to his, uh, his brothers, his first question to them, is my father still alive? It had nothing to do with vengeance. It had nothing to do with like, you wronged me. You see here, now I'm over you. Like, now I'm going to get you back, right? Like, when people have wronged us, our inclination is usually to get them back in some way. That's our sinful proclivity. But what we see here is that Joseph's main concern was for his father. And it's, it's the third time, actually, that Joseph has asked about his father. And he tells his brothers, hey, come closer to me to see me better. And his brothers, were, they had a hard time approaching Joseph because can you imagine you sold someone into slavery out of your own jealousness? You pretty much thought you had killed your brother and sent him off to a foreign land with the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, down to Egypt. And now... Here you are, and, and we got to be fair to the brothers. You might be like, well, they didn't recognize their brother. You got you to gotta recognize that this has been decades. This is decades. We change over that time. Plus, uh, Joseph was very much Egyptianized at this point. It meant that he may have had even darker skin. It, he was wearing different clothing, and that's why he tells them, come near. Come near so they can see who he is, who he said he was. He actually speaks in their language to affirm he is who he said he was. And he says, don't be distressed or angry. God sent me here to preserve life. You see, even in our depths of despair and destruction, there's always purpose. Pain has meaning. Next time you're in pain... Remember, it has meaning. Who, who here enjoys being in pain? I don't. I don't. Like, I remember uh, about three years ago, um, I, uh, I remember I was moving some objects on a church stage that's not ours, and uh, I fell through an access panel. Actually, one foot went through an access panel on the church stage, and then I fell over. And uh, I was like, man, I feel something tingly. And then I got up and tried to tried to get up and put weight, and I fell again. Uh, it's because I had broken my foot, the arch of my foot. And uh, that all had to happen where I had surgery two days before Christmas. Merry Christmas. What a present, right? You know, pain's real. I mean, it could be pain of I found my father deceased. I went and was trying to find my father one night, and I looked in the window and he was, he was dead on the floor. Pain is a real thing. But know this, God works out all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what Paul writes in Romans 8, 28. And furthermore, we're going to look at in our last week, in the last chapter, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. So spoiler alert, Joseph says to Joseph's brothers, they're burying their father. And they're, and, and they're fearful once the father has been buried uh, that something's going to come about. Like now Joseph is going to take out uh, his wrath on them. But what Joseph says to them is, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good. Your pain has meaning because God is working in the midst 
of the pain, whether it be relational strife, whether it be disease, whether it be physical pain, your pain has meaning. Now, it doesn't mean that God is causing that pain. Sin causes that pain. God didn't create, I hate, I hate to break it to you, God didn't create cancer. God didn't create hurricanes. All these things are a result of the broken earth that we live in. And you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the ground and, and the, like not only did sin infect and affect us as human beings, sin infected and affected all of earth. The ground that we live and breathe and move on. After Hurricane Katrina, it was all about, oh, God's judging that evil, sinful city, New Orleans. And I'm not going to say what God's doing and what God's not doing. But what I do know is that Bourbon Street never shut down. Y'all know Bourbon Street never flooded in Katrina. But a ton of good churches. Franklin Avenue Baptist was destroyed. Like Celebration Church on Airline had eight feet of sewage water in it. Like it's hard for me to speak in the place of God. But what I do know is that when painful situations come, it's not my job to figure out who's caused it or why it's taken place. My job in the midst of pain is to trust God. Your pain has meaning. And the meaning of Joseph's pain was the purpose that God wanted to accomplish. What James, Jesus' little brother, writes in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, and verse 12, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Y'all need to hear that again. <laughs> Count it all joy when you face trials, right? Like, Nick, do you like being in trial? Do you like being in pain? No, no. <laughs> like, how weird is it to count it as joy when we face trials of various kinds? Because we know that the testing of our faith produce, produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, last, last, lacking nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to all those who love him. Joseph's brothers, the word in the Hebrew says that they were afraid. That word is they were literally terrified. They thought their lives were about to end. Joseph's response wasn't vengeance. Joseph's response was, come near, come near. He embraced them. He hugged them. And it says that they spoke to Joseph. They spoke to him. This is significant. Very last verse, Kathleen read. Let's look at verse 15 of chapter 45. It said, he kissed all of his brothers and he wept on them. And his brothers talked with him. His brothers spoke with him. Last time we saw his brothers interacting with him was not only throwing him down into a pit and, and, and debating whether to kill him or to sell him into slavery. Genesis 37 verse 4 says, when the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all of his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably with him. When we hate people, we don't talk to them. Is that, is that the, the response that we all have? When we don't like somebody, we don't talk to them. But when reconciliation happens, we begin to dialogue. 
And the truth is you can't get to the point of reconciliation until you talk it out. That's why the Lord says, don't let the sun set on an argument. Joseph kisses them. He weeps over them. He hugs them. I love what John Calvin says here. He says, when Joseph reflects that their wickedness has been overruled by the wonderful and unwanted goodness of God, forgetting the injury he received from his brothers, he kindly embraces these men who dishonored God, but God covered with his grace. When we look at people who've hurt us, and brought us pain, we have to be reminded that they are a child of God and that the same God who forgave us and showered us with grace, grace is getting something you don't deserve. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. In the same way that God loves us and forgives us, so we should love and forgive others. Y'all, Jesus is hard. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Furthermore, Paul writes in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on in Colossians 3 verse 13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you should also forgive others. This is what we see in the life of Joseph. Joseph was not a perfect man, but Joseph displays many attributes of God that are worth following and are worth mirroring. So, First, we see that the reunion reveals purpose. Now we'll see how the reunion marks provision. Let's read in verse 16. It says, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house. So Joseph had sent them out uh, because he wanted some privacy with his family. But obviously his weeping and wailing were so loud, some other servants heard it. And then they bring it to Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh hears, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take to your father and your households, come to me and I will give you the best of the land in Egypt. This is how God works all things together for good. And you shall eat the fat of the land, meaning the substance of the land, the good things of the land. And you, Joseph, are committed to say, do this, take the wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern uh, for your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Pharaoh says, don't be worried about what you're going to bring. The best is here. You don't need anything. What we'll see, uh, Israel's people are always a little stubborn. They end up bringing their own stuff. But that, that's, a, that's a whole nother story. And so what we see here is that Pharaoh is saying, I'm going to give them the best of the best of the best. This contrasts with the, what, what happens at the beginning of Exodus. If you read in chapter one, the Israelites had grown, the Jews had grown to be many, and they were a threat to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh began persecuting them and harming them. Different Pharaoh. Verse 21, the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of all them, he gave a change of clothes. Clothes are a sign of of welcome and identity. Joseph had gotten a change of clothes from his dad earlier in the story. That, cl those cl that clothing was ripped off of him and uh, trampled upon, actually dipped in blood and brought back to his father to say that your son 
had died. Furthermore, Joseph was ripped of his clothing that he'd received in Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife wrongly accused him. He's thrown into prison. But what does Joseph do through Pharaoh's provision? He clothes those who persecuted him. But to Benjamin, Benjamin is, is uh, Joseph's youngest brother. He gave 300 shekels. Now get this, Joseph had been sold into slavery for how many shekels? Can somebody tell me? 20. He'd been sold into slavery for 20. He gives Benjamin 500, 300, 300. So 50 times, right? My math right, 30 times 50. Is that right? No, that's not right. Y'all help me do math here. Six times. There we go. Right? Is that right? That's not right either. Hold on. Y'all, all of us were educated. 15. We're all educated in Louisiana. That's okay. We're good. So here we go. So uh, he gives him abundantly more than what he was sold into in slavery. And he also gave him five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as followed 10 donkeys loaded with good, with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys with grain and bread and provision for his father on the journey. And he sent his brothers away as they depart. And he said to them, do not quarrel along the way. So <laughs> he already knows his brothers, right? They're the same brothers who couldn't get along in this whole story. And he says, now that restoration has come, and you're bringing the good news. They're literally, they're not just um, observers of this restoration story. They are proclaimers of this restoration story. They are witnesses. Just as we, are, we receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth, Joseph's brothers are witnesses to their father and the nation of Israel, all that God has done. He says, just don't grumble. Don't fight. This is not, it's a lesson to us as God's people, right? Our fighting can ruin our witness. And furthermore, the bickering could get in, a, in the way of the journey in which they were accomplishing. He knows that they bickered before. And he's saying, okay, none of y'all should blame the other even more for what happened to me. Because what you intended for evil, God meant for good. So they went uh, up out of Egypt, verse 25, and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb. He pretty much can't fathom or believe that this has happened. He did not believe them. But when they told him the words of Joseph, which he said to them, and when they saw the way, when he sees all these things that Pharaoh sent with Joseph, it had to be true. There was a physical sign of an of a, of a, of a underlying truth. This is why, actually, in the, even in the New Testament, y'all know miracles happen. The power of God showed up and still shows up this day, not for the miracles and power and provision in and of itself, but be, to be a witness to the truth of Almighty God. We don't search out the things the things point us to the giver of all things. It says, when they told him the word of Joseph, he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him. The spirit of their father, Joseph, was revived. Reunion turned into restoration. Literally, revival takes place here in the heart 
of Jacob. And Israel said, I know it goes back and forth between Jacob and Israel, same person, Jacob, Israel, two different names. And Israel said, is it not enough that Joseph, my son, is still alive? I will go and see him before I die. Now we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 46. It says, so Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to God, to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions and dreams of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here am I. And he said, I am, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation, repeating the promises of Abraham, that in you, that you'll be blessed. As many as the stars are in the sky, you will be blessed. I will make you a great nation there, verse four. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you up again. This anticipates the Exodus story that happens in the book of Exodus. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So God's telling Jacob here, go down to Egypt. And you know what? You're going to die in Egypt. Joseph's hands are going to close your eyes. And he's like, well, God, you've always told me that this land that I'm living in, Canaan, is, is, is mine. It's, it's for my people. It's a ground that is sacred. It's a ground that's still being fought over, right? Like, like it's, it's a ground that is sacred for God's purposes. And so what we see here is that he's now being told to leave that land and to depart from that land, and that he would be that he would die outside of that land. That that'll come into the later narrative when he promised when he asked his son to promise to bury him back in the promised land in the land of his fathers. How much faith does this take to take this step that God has asked him to to leave his comfort zone and and to go to a place that ultimately he would die. But God had another plan. God had another purpose. God had provision for his people. And we look in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith passage in Scripture. And what we see here is that many of these men and women in the Old Testament, they died without ever seeing the promises that God had given to his people. But what did they have? They had faith. They had faith. Salvation, righteousness was accounted to them by faith. Will you have faith to live for something that could outlive you? We've had, we have faith as a church. Like we are not building a building or a kingdom just to benefit us, but for generations to come. Will you have faith? Will you have faith that God will provide and God will mediate, just like Joseph mediates instructions to his brothers here in just a moment on how to come before Pharaoh? Will you have faith that God is ultimately in control? And what we see here in the rest of this chapter, I'm going to skip over it for the sake of time, is there's a list. And this list is all the brothers and their supplies and their families who come back to the land. There's a large group. I want you to go home. Y'all know, y'all don't like reading lists when you're in the Bible. You don't like, yeah, go home and read it. Read it. There's some good things because every name has a meaning. Every name shows you that God has provided. 
Every name shows you that God has showed up. Every name shows you that his purposes are being carried out by the actions of his people. Which comes to our last point. So this reunion revealed purpose. This reunion marked provision. God supplied Israel with even a land of Goshen uh, by the generosity of Pharaoh. We get to this last part, which actually will lead into our message next week as well. This reunion enacts blessing. This reunion enacts blessing. Jacob's response, Jacob is Joseph's dad. Jacob's response, when he comes down, he, he meets his son, he, he encounters the nation. Jacob's response is blessing. He blesses Pharaoh. We'll get to it next week. He blesses his sons. He tells actually some of these blessings actually could be seen as curses as well as he, as he speaks reality of not only how they have lived, but what their future is going to hold. Now this sin is forgiven. Sin does have consequences. We can be forgiven for sin, but if we killed someone, we have consequences for our sin. But praise God that our consequences don't define his love for us. Yes, justice has to take place. But God's love supersedes even earthly justice. Because his justice will come to pass one day. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's read beginning in verse 28 of chapter 46. Chapter 46, verse 28. And he sent Judah ahead of him, and he came to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, and Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. And he presented himself to him, and he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck for a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, his father, saying to son, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. Notice it doesn't mention here that, that, that Judah, uh, that, not Judah, that Jacob, Israel, the father, it doesn't say here that he wept bitterly. Maybe he didn't have any more tears to give. He had lived decades without his son uh, by his side and thinking his son was dead. But in his last cry of anguish, he says, my life is now complete. I shall die. And Joseph said to his brothers of his father's household, I will go up to, and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who lived in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they will be keepers of the livestock. And you brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls to you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth. And even now, both we and our fathers, in according that, you may, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph knows that the Egyptians don't necessarily like shepherds. One, they were a competition for resources. This isn't the first people group that migrated down into Egypt. And we know from Egyptian history that uh, even the land of Goshen was given to other nomadic shepherds to live and dwell in, because most, most likely this land of Goshen it was kind of the Northeast Nile Delta. 
a very rich land, rich in soil, enough land to be able to pasture with your flock, enough land to be able to grow crops. And so this is part of Pharaoh's promise of giving them the best of the best. And so they come down and they find their sustenance in an evil empire. This is not unlike God's people journeying into Babylon. Y'all know Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, right? There, God's people find themselves in another evil empire, Babylon, and God tells them, don't wallow in your grief, get to work. Seek the welfare of the city in which I've sent you into exile, because in its, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That word for welfare is shalom. Seek the shalom, the peace, the goodness of the place in which I've called you, because in that peace, you will find your peace. I've said this before. God has planted you and your butts are in a seat sitting in a church in Kenner, Louisiana. Most of you live in Kenner, Metairie, some the river parishes as well. Some of you in Gentilly. God has put you in, in this place for a purpose. And your purpose, even if it's Dawn, even if it's Babylon, even if y'all know New Orleans can feel like Babylon and Egypt sometime, right? We get a natural disaster every two years, you know? I'm like, if God wouldn't swallow me up in a fish and spit me back, I'd have been going already, already myself, you know? Like, so here's the deal. God has you here on purpose, and your purpose is to seek the welfare in which he has placed you, the place in which he has placed you. Joseph's response to all of this is to bless his kids and to bless Pharaoh. Let's look at Joseph's response to Pharaoh. So, jo uh, not Joseph. Jacob, sorry, y'all, getting, getting confused with the J's. There's so many J's, right, you know? So um, we see that Jacob is now having an audience with Pharaoh, and uh, Jacob's response is to bless Pharaoh, to bless Pharaoh for the provision that he has provided, this evil ruler. It should speak something to us. What if we encountered the presidential candidate that we didn't vote for and we didn't like? Will we speak curses to them or will we bless them? God's called us to be a blessing. And by our blessing and by our love for one another and our love for others, that's how Jesus is made known. And so we see here in verse 1 of chapter 47, Joseph is preparing them to go in and have audience with Pharaoh. And it says, Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come into the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Why five? I don't know. He gave, uh, he gave uh, um, Benjamin, his youngest brother, five change of clothes. Uh, there were five years left in the seven-year famine. Joseph's a little strategic. Maybe he's trying to show Pharaoh that, hey, this isn't a huge group of people. You know, even though the, the list earlier says there's about 70 people that came, this isn't a list that's going to, this isn't a group of people that's going to put an army together and come against you. They're not going to be a threat. I don't know what he's doing, but what I do know is he's trying to be wise and he's trying to, to, to do what God has called him to do and to do it in a way that honors God, while also is shrewd. This is why Jesus, similar to what Jesus commanded his followers to say, he says, behold, I'm sending you in the midst of wolves, 
Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Y'all, sometimes we got to use wisdom, but we've got to be innocent in what we do. It becomes sinful when we're serpents and we don't have the innocence behind it. And so he sends them in and, and, and it says, uh, and among his brothers, he took five and he presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what's your occupation? They didn't lie. They told Pharaoh exactly who they were. Remember this, the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. They didn't like uh, these people. And he said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our father were, as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn. This is sojourn or being an alien or uh, a resident not in your home land uh, is, is something that embodies God's people. We are aliens and strangers of this world, but God brings us together by his goodness. And we've come to sojourn in the land and there's no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in our homeland and the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to me. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land and let them settle in the land of, of Goshen. And if you, if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of the livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and he stands before Pharaoh and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Verse eight, and Pharaoh says to Jacob, how many days are the years of your life? You see, age brought wisdom. Age brought uh, providence. Age was a sign of honor. Actually, the only place in the Old Testament where it's mentioned that age is dishonored is among the people who have departed from God in the book of Deuteronomy. We honor people's age. Like age comes wisdom. Like, and so what we see here is that Pharaoh knows that. And he says to Pharaoh, the days of my year and my sojourning are 130 years. People in Old Testament time lived a little bit longer. 130 years is old, right? There's somebody 130 years old nowadays, right? We would we'd be amazed. You know, so he's 130 years old. Few and evil have been the days of my years. Jacob's been through a lot. Not only did he deceive his brother Esau and 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 steal his birthright, he had many wives. Like he he had he had his children fighting with each other. He lost a son out of deception. He had been through a lot. Many and evil are the days of my life. And they have not yet attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in their days of sojourning. And even with all this, it says yet again, Joseph blessed Pharaoh. The word for blessed is Baruch or Barak. That's the same word used when we bless God. It's a blessing. It's a praise. It's an honor. It's a greeting. It's a thankfulness. So he blessed Pharaoh and he went out from the presence of Pharaoh and Joseph settled his fathers and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land, the best of the land and the land of Ramsey as his father, Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and his father's household with food according to the number of their descendants. So they settle in this land called Goshen. Perhaps they called it Goshen. Maybe that's why it's also referred to as the land of Ramses. If you don't know in the old Testament, the Israelites, there's multiple Goshens. They refer to a land that is abundant and overflowing with resource as Goshen. It might be like how we say, you know, uh, what, what's a tropical paradise? That, what's the, 
Bali, you know, like it's something like that, right? Bali, or you, you're not gonna say Kenner, you know what I mean? Like it's it's a place that's overflowing and abundant, and so that's what they what they're saying. But they find themselves in this land of Ramses, and we know a powerful city was built in, at this site called Pi Ramses. It was built by the descendants of Jacob and Joseph who were enslaved in Israel. So not only were they being put in a land of abundance, but they were being put into a land that the abundance would eventually turn on them. And they would be the slaves that built the very back of Israel's power, of, of Egypt's power. You go over nowadays into Egypt and you see these large structures and like these pyramids. Those were built by slaves. History tells us that many of those slaves were, were Semitic. They were Jewish. They built these things that still sit here today. But God, even through all that, had a purpose. And when you read the book of Exodus, God sends Moses. Moses delivers them and brings them back to the cusp of the promised land, who Joshua then brings them in after their wanderings. I think there's something very important that we see here as we close. Yes, this reunion revealed purpose. This reunion marked provision. And this reunion enacted blessing. But these things don't end here. Purpose, provision, and blessing have through this story and through these acts been passed on to you and me. What we see here is a mirror. It says, and Joseph provided for his fathers, verse 12, and his brothers and all of his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Joseph had a concern for those who were to come. Joseph had a concern for all the little ones. Joseph mediated God's blessings. The nation of Israel would mediate God's blessings. In you, Genesis 12, verse 3, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in this blessing, he provides for those who are yet to come pointing ahead to the generations that would rise in power. Not unlike what we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43, where Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we stop right there, but the next verse says this. For this promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. The provision has been provided to us so that we can pass it along. We're here today and many of us have our own Joseph stories. Many of us are here today and we have our own Judah stories. We have our own Reuben stories. Maybe we were the evil person in that story. Like maybe we were the ones trying to kill and steal. But we've been provided for by God Almighty. And we've been provided for by God Almighty in an evil land so that we can pass it along for generations to come. So will we have the heart of Joseph that doesn't just provide for those whom he knows directly, 
but provides even for the little ones. The work of our generation is not just to build the ground that we sit on. The work of our generation is to build up to a ceiling, which the next generation takes and builds and builds and builds. The ceiling of our generation is the floor of the next generation. And that's the work that God is calling us to, Family Church. Just as Joseph was reunited with his brothers and his father, Jacob, we pray that people here all across New Orleans will be reunited with the one who loves them most, with the father who makes up the family. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Let us not make it easy for generations to forget about Jesus. With every ounce and every passion that we have, let's share Jesus until we die and breathe our last breath, just like Jacob does in this passage. Your pain has a meaning. Your situation has a purpose. That purpose and that meaning is to provide provision and blessing in the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone who would hear. So let's tell people about Jesus. Let's invite them to join the family and let's see reunion turn into restoration. Let's respond in light of that truth. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. God, I pray that today's message just wouldn't be like a bunch of information that we forget about, but Lord, today's message would empower us by your spirit to do what Joseph did, to do what Jacob did, to overcome evil and see it be turned for good. God, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you that your word is true. It's living and it's active. God, I thank you that it pierces even our own spirits here today and this morning. So God, in light of that, I pray that we respond. Lord, if we haven't accepted you as Lord and Savior, help us to give everything to you. And God, help us to invite as many people as we can to the table so that they can hear about your goodness. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.